Strategy. Design. Marketing. UX. Digital. Development. This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored by Together We Ship. On a mission to help agencies grow. All right, rock on. Here we are, Varun, my friend. How are you? You're already chuckling because we were just prepping before we started recording. This is going to be a good episode. <laughs> yeah, go, go, go ahead and let's, okay. let's introduce and then, you know. I'm going to tease this guest up with, I was going to have a whole other introduction, but I'm just going to say this particular guest of ours, who is the president and vision at, at Visionary, has introduced us to the screaming Roomba video. That's your introduction. Well, I promise we'll plug you a little bit later too, but I like if you haven't watched it and you're listening to this episode, just Google it. Um, Google it on the YouTube. It's like making my heart sing so much right now. So Monica Langan, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse and Varun. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> that was just a wonderful, like I am itching to watch all of the uh, versions of this. Like who doesn't need a Ruma that when it bumps into stuff starts screaming? Like it's right. hysterical. Exactly. Hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> the wonders of technology. Okay, so let's let's jump right in because I'm also excited for the myth you're about to bust. So what's some sort of bogus strategy, misconception? What do you want to set the record straight on, my friend, Monica? Um, that Midwesterners ride cows to school. That is not true. <laughs> and wh- what state are you in? Let's, let, you know. I am in Iowa. Great. I was born and raised in Iowa, lived other places. But yeah, I'm in Iowa currently. And you don't ride a cow to school? Uh, no, didn't? right now I'm not going to school, but I well, didn't work. ride a cow. I actually took a bus, drove a car when I got older or rode with friends or, <clears throat> excuse me, or with my brothers. So we have vehicles. We have roads. It's good to know. You didn't have to walk uphill both ways? And you didn't see no. anybody else walking on the cow? Like maybe? No, 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 no. I did. Now, there were some friends who rode um, tractors to school because they were working on the farm before they went to school. So they just kind of parked it. My school is out in the middle of nowhere, you know, so it was a combination of towns. So, yeah, I mean, that's a leap, <laughs> right? Tractors are big. <laughs> I mean, how far would you, like, how far, that's not going to be comfortable to ride a tractor for that long, I would assume. I mean, I've I, little ones. So uh, the only tractor I've owned was really old and uh, uncomfortable, but I'm talking about a tractor that has like a recliner, not really a recliner, but a padded seat in it. So it's okay. probably pretty comfortable. Kind of like a car, just slower and bigger. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But not cows. Nope. No horses? Yeah, some people rode horses. I have friends I mean, who rode, not just occasionally though, because not comfortable also and dusty, you know. Interesting. Where, where would they park their horses? <laughs> you just tie them up, tie them yeah. to a post, you know. Oh. Doesn't it get hot? Do you have to take care of it during the day? I mean, horses yeah, you have to give it water yeah. and food and stuff. Interesting. Very different. I mean, I'm sure somebody could ride a horse to school out here in the in Massachusetts. That's true. That's you know, true. They do. I have a cousin who's a teacher in Vermont. Vermont. Oh, she's in Vermont now. She was in Montana and it was country school. And so kids would ride horses because it was miles away, miles and miles and no roads. Well, not like different kind of roads. roads. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. That it's we haven't had a fun fact in a long time. This one was a good one. <laughs> yep. Buses. We take buses to school. There here. you go. Um, well, let's dive in a little bit. Like, so you have an interesting origin story. Let's start there. You know, growing up in the ranks at Visionary. Why don't you give us kind of, you know, every the joy of this podcast is we've talked to so many different types of agency owners or agency leaders and how they've come to be in the role that they've been in. And I, I have a, I feel like you might be the first that's come up through the ranks. Varun, is there anybody else? You, I can't think of anybody else. Usually they, you know, there's been a need and or want and it started, but I, I like, you know, tell us a little bit about how you came to be the president. Uh, it was a coup. I staged a coup. <laughs> not funny these days. <laughs> no, right. Not funny. Sorry. Just kidding. Um, n- no, really. It's just, uh, it's a case of never saying no. Um, and just being happy to come in and, and do whatever needed to be done. And really, anytime somebody said, oh, I don't want to do that, or I can't do that, or we can't do that, I'd be like, yeah, we can. Let's mm. do it. That looks okay. like fun. What would you say in terms of the, like, what role did you start with there? Project manager. Okay. And are there pieces of this journey that you found a little bit more challenging? I was trying to think about making a screaming in room a joke, but it's not coming to me. <laughs> um, you, you know, like there's always points, there's always trajectories in your career where you're like, oh, that was really hard overcoming this particular hump, you know, as are there a couple that come to mind? You know, that's a hard off the cuff question. Yes. Um, While you're thinking about it, I think like I had a, a CMO very early in my career. I was moving from manager to director, senior manager to director, one of those, but making that leap was, um, he said, this is going to be one of the hardest things because you're still required to do stuff, but you also are required to manage. And so balancing, you know, this for me, and I've said this to many, many people who work for me over the years, it's really, really a hard transition because you have to give stuff up and you also have to spend the time training and teaching and all of that at the same time. But all the stuff they do is still your responsibility. So, you know, that was one of the pivotal moments for me. I mean, I can tell you, it's like, literally, I can picture it in my head at the moment when he was telling me, I was like, oh, okay, let's do this. Like, I'm ready. Game on. Those are the, Varun and any for you that come to mind while I give yeah. Monica another minute? <laughs> well, and sometimes it's just that saying, as you said, like, you know, saying yes to many things, not only because you want to do it, but sometimes because at least for me, there was nobody else to do that. So when nobody else is doing it and you are stepping into that role, it naturally occurs, you know, uh, that you are basically, you know, growing up and up and eventually you are at a point. And it is my story as well. Like when I started in my, in my company, I started as a developer. Um, so from, from developer to part owner, it took me like, I mean, 15, 20 years, but mm-hmm. only because the role I was playing and I was getting into, there was nobody else. To take care so um what is your story um how did you get into this so i stepped into it because um initially because i was i was teaching web development courses and um early on like early early and um and related courses like uh, working with Photoshop and things like that. And I really started getting into um, HTML 
again, this is way back when, and I got, I, it made sense to me, right? So, uh, and I could see the impact of um, the tools even back then, you know, using Notepad <laughs> to, to write code in. Um, but I, I had an opportunity, a visionary come up, a, a friend of mine who had also been training, had been a project manager at Visionary for a year or so. And she said, you know, we're growing and we really need another project manager who understands the technology piece of it, not just managing projects. And you should come in and interview. So I, so I did, and I was really taken by the, my boss at the time, um, David, who was all about the experience and the people of Visionary, and I thought it was interesting to me that the the name Visionary and what he was portraying as the the culture was very Visionary, and I thought that that just seemed like an exciting thing to do. So, um, so I took the job, and I I loved it, and um, it was it just opened up so many parts of my mind, um, working with the, the developers who've been developing for years, developing, you know, desktop software, and then they had transitioned to web software. Um, and at the time, it was just like, well, this is fun. This is cool. But looking back, it was really a pivotal point in technology because this was also new. Um, and I was here for a, a few years and had a major life change. So I had to leave. And I left as a web developer, which is interesting. I took a job as a web developer for a couple of years and built compliance uh, training for Wells Fargo. Um, the whole time I was there, I found I was talking about visionary as if I was still at visionary. And so when I reached the point where I realized this is a great opportunity at Wells Fargo, but it's a big company and I'm not making an impact other than to the bottom line. So what am I doing? You know, what am I doing with my life? And um, had lunch with David and, and he said, you know what? We are at a point where we we need somebody like you back. We need somebody who has experience, who has the who understands visionary. And the culture. And so I had two job offers and he mentioned this to me and didn't I didn't know anything about the job. I didn't know anything about salary. And I said, yes. I'll do it. I'll come back. And so um, that was probably the major pivot for me to come back and with a different mindset. Like it wasn't so much about the job anymore. It was really about the culture, the people and building cool things. That's a, that's a neat story. I mean, you know, having that one finding an opportunity and actually looking for that opportunity, grabbing that opportunity where you want to feel like making impact. That in itself is a, I think, you know, huge, um, you know, motivator to, to go into that role without thinking about, you know, if I'll be making enough living on that or not. I mean, that becomes least priority once you know, all right, this is my biggest priority right now. I want to be the one who is, you know, doing something that is valuable and I'm, you know, so um, that's, a, that's great. Um, but there was something, I'm going to interrupt real quick, because there was a quote that you said in our prep call that I've actually been thinking about since the conversation, which is, you know, in your journey to becoming president, it's not the time, and I'm reading it off of our notes, so I may butcher it, feel free to correct me, but <laughs> it's not the time to get there, it was how you chose to use your time. So I think that's, it's, 
it's such a slight pivot in the way that a lot of people think about how to manage their own careers. And uh, I just think it's just, it was just a great quote. It just really stuck with Thank me. You. So I wanted to make sure we called it out for the folks listening and, and really thinking about, you know, especially in, in the agency world, it's not always how long it takes us to build something. It's how we choose to get there and build it. And if it takes us a quarter amount of time, and again, this, this is a conversation for maybe later in the episode, but like, how do you do time tracking? Should we time mm-hmm. track? How do you do billing against it? All of that like stuff in terms of the operations piece of it. I, so many agencies are exploring different ways to do that. But it goes back to this point. Like if it takes me a quarter of the amount of time to do it, why would I charge the client less? I should still charge them what I'm charging them, you know? And just because it takes me less time, there's profit in that, you know, mm-hmm. versus junior or senior person being involved. So I don't know. It was just one of those quotes that I was like, I just want to make sure we get this on the recording too, for people to share. It was just so I went, huh, cool. All right, Varun, sorry, interrupted. No, Thank no. you. Thank you so much for, for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, I, before this call, uh, you're talking about, I want to take a you know, switch in the direction. You're talking about, um, you have a visionary day today in the office. Everybody's here. Um, tell us more about, you know, what is that about? Like, what is the monthly visionary day that you guys do? And cool name of the company and then align so much with the way, you know, your tagline may say be visionary. So tell us about that. Okay. Uh, so thank you. It's a, it's a very important day from my perspective because it's what it's a tool that I have leveraged to, to bring people back together. Um, you know, Jesse, early, earlier you'd actually asked about some, some, I can't remember how you put it, but difficulties that I've had coming up to, to get to where I'm at today. And I would like to come back to that because it's directly related to what I'm going to say about Visionary Day. So... Um, you know, when the pandemic hit, literally, we had just remodeled this office and got new desks for everybody. And we were like, oh, it's going to be cool. And we, prior to that, we'd been spending uh, in a time in a space upstairs um, that was really cramped. Like I joked about us stacking desks on top of each other because we were all so close. Um, it was like we were roommates or something. But so we were together and then we moved into the office and literally 10 days later, the whole world fell apart, you know, and we didn't know, we didn't know it was, it was so weird. Um, but we didn't feel safe. It didn't feel safe to have everybody coming because we didn't know enough about it. Right. So we let everybody do what they felt was right. We didn't say you must leave. We didn't say you must stay. We said, you make the choice. If you don't feel comfortable coming into the office, stay home. That's cool. Um, we had a remote policy at that point. We'd actually beefed it up prior to that, prior to us being out. Um, so we were prepared from a technology standpoint. We were prepared from a, a cultural standpoint. Um, what we weren't prepared for is that it was more than two weeks, which was originally what everybody was looking at. Yeah, it should be fine every two weeks. Um, obviously it wasn't. And we just, kept watching what was happening and and rolled with it. But we were apart for a significant amount of time. There were people who came into the office pretty regularly. Um, I was remote for an extended period of time. Then I eventually started coming back in. But, you know, we'd have a handful of people in the office. And something that's very visionary about 
visionary is that when we're together, the things that we share, you know, the personal relationships, obviously, but the knowledge that's shared across the team just by accident is impressive and outstanding. It's just like when we're all here, it's deafening in here because people are just all talking to each other. And um, so Visionary Day was my first um, attempt to get people back into the routine of being together and what that feels like. And literally the first time we got together for Visionary Day, and, and, and sorry, you were asking me what it's all about. We, um, we start with a meeting. I just basically get up and everybody pulls their chairs into the center of the office and I spout about something or <laughs> I give them updates or, you know, whatever, go over new policies. Um, but I keep it brief and it's just really, I just say, hey, welcome to the day. Glad you're here. Great to see everybody. And then, you know, they carry on and, and throughout the day. But the very first time we got together for the visionary day, some people were kind of tentative, right? They hadn't been, some people hadn't been out at all. And some people hadn't just been in groups of, around groups of people. So it was, it was a little uncomfortable at first. But by the end of the day, I had multiple people who came up to me and said, this was great. This is, this is so amazing seeing everybody and just um, having this opportunity to, to get in front of each other. And so the plan was we'd have the brief meeting and then people could do whatever they want. I'm not scripting it at all. I'm not saying, you know, managers have to meet with their team. I gave them some loose ideas, like take your team to lunch or go throw hatchets or whatever, you know, go for a walk, pick flowers. Um, write a cow. Write a cow. Scream at a Roomba. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it just became organically this thing that is reminding people about why why we're here, why visionary is visionary, and what what makes it visionary. Um, so we've definitely seen an increase in knowledge share, and we've also seen an increase in people coming into the office because they want to be together, they want to see each other. It's um. I want to say, because Rowan and I have been doing this for three years now, I think we're probably over 50 episodes. I know we've done a lot and I haven't counted recently. And one of the topics that we tend to talk to a lot of agency owners about, especially in the early year, early years, I could say that now of doing this is, um, you know, how do you keep your team motivated? And I think this is a challenge that, you know, outside of agencies or how do you keep them connected, especially during COVID? That was a lot. That's where kind of this even manifested out of how do you keep them motivated and engaged and excited and even manage the pressure of remote versus in-house because there can, you know, life stage can dictate it's easier for some people to come in, some people want to come in, some people mm -hmm. are like, I'm good, I'm good at home, I'm an introvert, or however they choose to live their life in that way. And I, I think this is an interesting balance that you've described that you have found to keep those folks engaged and, and tied in without creating the added pressure of like, you must be in one day a week, you know, um, mm -hmm. and it creates that benefit. I know you guys also do, I'm going to ask you about the holiday party and I'm going to ask it now. <laughs> 
and then (laughs) then we can pivot back to some of those like humps I'll call them career humps that you overcame that works so um because I know you brought it up and we're talking about culture tell us about this epic holiday party that you teased you teased in our prep call okay so uh yeah I think the way I phrased it in the prep call was that we've got uh we we have people coming in for interviews and that's I thought it was funny that that's the first thing that people who haven't been part of the interview process before but now are because that's intentional for, for us um are telling people who are potential new visionaries about the Christmas party the holiday party so the holiday party is this thing that has grown over time but it's it it's always been a, a white elephant gift exchange so we buy all the presents and how this is started by David and how this we works is in the leadership. Is, yeah. 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 We isn't, we isn't me. And, oh. uh, yeah, <laughs> me and now, yeah, people are definitely helping, but it was David and David would do it initially and he would have a few people help throughout the year. But, um, basically what he does is he, we now watch the trends and we listen to people in the office and we'll ask questions like, Oh, what do you think about a screaming Roomba? And, you know, if, if people are excited about it, then we'll get a screaming Roomba. If, if uh, somebody's really into shoes like me and they like, you know, we, we might ask them about Christian Louboutin. What do they think about Christian Louboutin? And if they go, Oh my God, those amazing shoes. Then there's a pair of Christian Louboutin shoes, maybe in that person's size. Um, so, yeah, so there's these crafty ways like we'll go up to people and say, so what if you were going to get a technology like I, I have this nephew I want to get a, a gift for and he's really into tech stuff. What should I get him? And I may or may not have a nephew. I do. But that's a crafty way to find out what a person's really interested in uh, from a gift perspective. So we do that all year. We wait until <laughs> depending on what it is. We wait until like the two weeks before something because always something is released right before the holidays right mm-hmm. you don't want to miss out on that opportunity mm-hmm. like for example I have a pair of snapchat glasses that I never use but I they were cool they were a thing you could buy them only out of a vending machine I don't David. even know if I know what that is oh golly I mean yeah. it's self-explanatory camera. like a like the google what was the google ones called I don't know anyway google glasses yeah 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 you know inventive name Mm. um but but yeah they were they were snapchat glasses and they had a little camera on them and they would it would take little short videos or you could do stills while you were walking around with these sunglasses on they were nice looking glasses they weren't you know anyway kind of awkward so (laughs) my point is we we get these gifts and then we have a list of names and we have a list of gifts and there are numbers associated with the gifts and then we have people draw and we track what number a number we track what number they draw out of an envelope go around at the holiday party and you pick a number um you hang on to that number and then when we get ready to do the gift exchange we call out the numbers in order Number one, who is number one? And they come up, you know, it's like a game show. And um, and we present the gift. The first gift they have to open. Mm-hmm. And then uh, anybody there can steal it. 
anybody anybody so if else you get the Christian Louboutins and they're in your side right so can steal that from you yeah so it's number one you have to open it and you can steal mm -hmm. it um otherwise after that like number two for example can go look at the number two box and shake it sniff it whatever and go nah I don't I don't want that I want number one or you know on down the line so as we go through it you, it's it's fun so you can steal interesting this is it's such a wonderful managed cultural building like i've you know yeah it so is thoughtful. so thoughtful yeah. of your employees that way yeah. you know you are like <laughs> it's a lot of work right you know it is, it is a lot of work and they're not it getting crap <laughs> yeah. no they're not they're not getting crap we right. did joke and give out hams one year but that was just temporary like everybody's getting canned hams and jam of the month you know and that wasn't really what was happening but. my tactical question on that would be how do you set the budget for that i mean do you think about the pricing budget. like yeah i mean some of these gifts are expensive <laughs> it sounds like she doesn't have one <laughs> i mean people would want reasonably to, yes you know yeah so yeah how, i mean yeah we we so obviously we set a budget like everybody else does we have a fiscal year and we set that budget at the beginning of the year and we try to try to stay as close as possible but we know, you know, we can come up with an estimate on a budget based on the number of people and where things are going and, um, you know, and we're renting a space and we're providing a meal and alcohol. Um, so, so yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of a budget, but it's, it's good. It's great for morale. The, the, the visionaries love it and it's just a lot of fun. It's actually kind of vicious sometimes. I'm sure everyone wants the thing that you didn't realize everyone yeah, wanted. Right. So weird. Um, let's backtrack for a hot second to the the career hump. Um, I know we deviated, you know, as you're and I actually Vern, I'll ask you the same question because I shared mine. Why don't both of you answer it? Um, you know, as you've traveled up the ranks, what are some of those moments that you went that gave you pause that you had to kind of work through? That gave me a pause. Um, well, for for me, it's definitely the the I would say the biggest you know step for me would be to move from India to to this country. You know, I mean, in India, I mean, I was one. that was like you know, I'm I grew up in a very small town in India, and from there, you know, I I came here to New York, um, like when I was in. 20s mid 20s maybe still very early I can't imagine myself doing that so and then just taking the company from there to to where we are right now I think that was definitely a big moment for me to to take a pause and think about like you know if that had not happened uh, we wouldn't be here be here True. you know <laughs> we, mm -hmm. different mix of people in this dimension yeah. um, Monica how about you um well a couple i could think of uh so we well these are tied together we had a, one of our best years ever from a sales standpoint and people and everything but sales definitely um just before the pandemic and and then the pandemic and so there was this you know everything slowed down and, and we were so uncertain for way too long um so that was a little terrifying. And then that year, 
was when I presented the idea of becoming president of the company to David and talked about it and we talked about it. We talked about it. And then it happened the following following year. Yeah. What year is it? You're after that. Anyway, when it happened, I was so excited and I was just like, oh my God, yeah. I told my mom, did not tell my brothers. My mom told my brothers, of course. So they're all texting me. We're doing president of the company, blah, blah, blah. Um, they were doing that at the point in time when I was like, what did I just do? Why did I, why did I do this? Why did I accept this in the midst of a pandemic? What is wrong with me? You know, there's some wires that are not attached or something. Um, but I had to remind myself that, you know, through the early days of the pandemic, I was, you know, lockstep with the team and, and um, where we were going and making sure that communications were happening. I mean, everybody in the leadership team definitely was, but. I think that our experience through that time period is what prepared me for that. A pretty and if, scary step, both of you actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Vern, I actually have a sister-in-law who um, was uh, born in India, and then she moved from South Africa when she was three. Hmm to Kansas City. And I have a best friend, one of my best friends, who moved from India to to Iowa, but not Des Moines, south of Des Moines, went to Simpson College, which is a local private college. So uh, that's a huge, huge experience. I can't even imagine. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, that, that time, um, I mean, Especially, you know, the jump that you make at that point uh, in so early in the in the life, in the career, I think it teaches you so many things. I think it allows you, uh, and it, it is scary if I think about it now. I mean, you know, it is definitely, um, I feel proud. Those are the proud moments, I would say, in my life when I talk about that at all, you know, because, um, you know, you have to, you don't have money. At that point, I mean, you. I mean, you must have heard heard this story many, like many Indians who are living in this country who have come, and they're very similar story that you'll hear, like, you know, with ten dollars in the pocket, and then you come here, and then you, you know, build the empires. I mean, that's not really true, but yes, something on those lines that you know, it it is a struggle at that point when you come. Um, anyways, I want to come back to your um, agency life. Um, Talking about your like visionary, I would love to know and have you talked more about how do you guys like what would be your superpower? What do you guys specialize in? What is one thing that you feel that sets you apart um, and makes you feel proud of what you're building? You know, that's the one thing that you talked about earlier. You know, you wanted to make and make. Um, make a change, uh, make an impact. So how all of this tied together, like what is that one thing that, that you know, really makes you feel, you know, yes, we're doing something great. 
that one thing is that anyone, uh, even our youngest, newest employees, anyone here can be in a room with other visionaries or with a customer and um, have the great idea, have the ability to go, I'm listening to you. I hear your problem. Hmm. And I have a solution. Have you, you know, what if, what if you tried this or how about this? Right. I would say that's our superpower. And how do you, how do you inculcate that? Or how do you maintain that um, over time? Like there is some process, some training that you have them go through. How's the mindset? Is it the hiring that you pick the people you are? What questions do you ask to make sure it's the right fit culturally and to continue have that differentiator? That's an interesting question. Um, yeah, hiring is so difficult because uh, people sometimes aren't super real <laughs> in their interviews. Uh, I'm sure I haven't been at certain times, but it's, uh, it is part of, the culture is very important to us, obviously. So when we do hire people, we try very hard to, uh, insert different people. So it's not the same people always involved in the interview process. Um, it's people they're going to be working with, maybe people who are going to be reporting to them. Um, we try to mix it up so that the experience, they, they experience different people. And so our, because of that, our people are asking them different questions. Um, and they'll pick up on things, you know, they'll pick up on personality traits. We, we did just implement this um, last couple of hires. We implemented a test, kind of a personality test thing mm -hmm. um, that we look at before we even bring people in for an interview. And this is, that is for every level, meaning mm -hmm. like right from the junior developer to senior, mm -hmm. you know, architect, project managers. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But from the, like that you'd asked about, is there training once they're here? Um, yes and no. I mean, being part of the, um, the team, being part of the build process here, um, we obviously have project management processes and we have security standards that we follow and we have dev processes and standards. Um, but we try very hard to involve people early on in conversations. Um, for example, we might have, you know, a, a FedEx team come in and talk to us about a new system or something that they want to, to enhance on the, an existing system. And we'll bring in people who don't even work on the system because we know that the customer is going to talk about a certain thing. And we know that that person is very passionate about that topic. So those are the perfect people to bring in, right? Because they'll be engaged. With your hiring process, because I think this is something we've actually talked to a lot of agency owners about, because um, everyone's got a little bit of a different spin on it. You mentioned is the personality. Well, this would be a selfish question. Is the personality the personality test isn't a make or break, or is it? Like, how do you evaluate? Is it a cultural fit? How does that? I'd love to hear a little bit about the process there, because that's an interesting. You know, there's a lot of rise in disc or. Myers-Briggs mm -hmm. or other kinds of versions of that. How do you guys, how do you use that to evaluate? Well, and I wish I should have, before I said that, I should have been prepared with what it's called. It's less of a 
I mean, part of it is personality. Part of it mm-hmm. is just meth, like how you work and things yeah. like that. So, um, so like in an interview, we might ask, um, do you like to work autonomously or do you like to work with a team? There are questions. There's a group of questions associated with that kind of question that you would mm-hmm. normally ask in an interview to, to vet out whether or not that person is not interested in working with other people. I mean, yeah. there are definitely times and there, you know, we have different personalities out there, but we want to know if, if, if we're bringing somebody in for an interview who we know will not function well in this environment. Definitely. Yeah. So. Which makes sense. So that's, that was more like if someone was a, you know, you can do a lot of these personality tests based off like seniorship, senior leadership levels and things like that to get an understanding if you fit within the mix of the leadership within an organization and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So that's an interesting way to use them to just kind of vet out, oh, this person, but the role may warrant mm-hmm. a very introverted, focused kind of expertise in this particular skill. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, benefits to both sides of it. And and there are also <laughs> skills pieces to it as well. So, um, you know, you can have somebody say, well, I know how to use Excel or I, I know, you know. Of course. So there's like math questions and things like that in there too to to get a feel for someone's actual skill set. Sorry, for I didn't mean to. Yeah, t- talking about hiring, um, how so? You guys are in Midwest, and mm-hmm. your team is also remotely placed in the same region. Mm-hmm. So, how is? Are you finding it easy or difficult to acquire talent? Like, how would you recommend, or what's your take on finding the talent? for the type of work that you do in the region. Um, like, you know, I mean, people usually go to the coasts for mm-hmm. higher technical jobs, you know, but I mean, you are clearly doing amazing things from, you know, Midwest. So that is again, one of those myths that we, you know, mm-hmm. earlier. So I would mm-hmm. like to hear how's your take on talent? Like, is how easy and difficult is it or how competitive it is in in that region as well yeah thank you for asking that question that is actually i was smiling because i was thinking that's like the bus question or the bus point it's not hard i mean the hardest part would be we're competing with larger companies um not everyone's aware that uh des moines is actually a large insurance hub so like everything that you all are familiar with, with insurance started here. <laughs> um, Traveler's life started here and um, principal is here. They they came from here. Um, and there are many other companies, obviously, um, F&G and uh, I can name a bazillion of them. Walmart has a corporate office here. So I would say the, the, there's competition for us to hire locally because those companies are just, you know, eating them up. Um, but those companies also let people go. You know, you've got Wells Fargo who will let hundreds of people go or whatever periodically. Um, Meredith Publishing, which is now owned by another company. But um, so large companies uh, sit here and have historically taken all of the, or taken all, I should say all, taken a lot of the talent. I think, um, two things. The pandemic has opened us up because we already had a remote work policy, but we didn't really have 
an interest in having people who didn't live here work for us. Um, we've changed our tune on that because it does, it can benefit us if we open up and say, yeah, we're happy to take people from, from pretty much so anywhere. Um, if they're the right person, um, we would, because we have the, the visionary day monthly and we have the quarterly meetings, we would have some level of expectation for that person to come in to the office periodically. Um, but we don't let locations stand in the way. So what I think draws people to us here locally is we have this culture. We have, um, we, we pay 80% of the benefits, the health benefits. We do bonuses. We have a wonderful holiday party. <laughs> we have fun. I mean, definitely we work very hard and, and we have times that aren't so fun, but I think when people come in or, or even when they have maybe an initial conversation with somebody from Visionary, they get a feel for um, what we're like. And so that piques their interest. Try to hook them. It's like you could you could pitch Des Moines, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like a travel bureau. You yeah. Know? Sounds like come to Des Moines. There. Work so, at Visionary. <laughs> don't write a cow. Um, no, no cows. All right, I'll let the joke go. So this is <laughs> no, please don't. I love okay, it. Okay, we'll keep it going. So this this is uh this has been a great conversation. And you know, you when you have a conversation with somebody in a prep for an episode, we never quite know where it's gonna go. And so this was this was one of those. Let me let me ask you one last question, Monica. What is exciting you about the future? So mm. uh a lot of things, but really what's exciting about the future is the next generation of people. Um, and I, I'm old enough that I'm looking at, I'm early, early looking at succession planning because you both know you want to have the right people in place. You want to have mm -hmm. the right, uh, pre prepare them correctly and don't just go, Hey, I'm leaving next week. Good luck. Um, the, although it does happen, I'm not going to do that. Um, but I'm very excited about the next generation of visionary, uh, thrilled beyond belief at the, the leadership team. I couldn't do any of this without the people who work with me daily um, and in the leadership team and also the all the visionaries here. Um, I feel like at any point. I can go ask them how they're doing or what they're working on. And I'm just excited to hear what they have to say, regardless of what it is. They're always surprising me with stuff. So um, in the first few seconds that I was in the office this morning, I stopped and talked to Dakota, one of our developers. And I said, hey, how's it going? What are you working on? And he's like, oh, I'm trying out this new technology. <laughs> Going to see how it works. I'm like, cool. I can't wait for the presentation. <laughs> you know, he, he was cool with that, but, um, but I'm very excited about the next generation, um, of visionaries and of people, um, around the world, but in this country, it's just exciting to see where people, where that generation is looking, you know, where, where their value system is and what's, 
important to them, I think that we're going to see some good things out of them. Outside of manipulating Roombas to make hey, inappropriate, hilarious right. noises. Right, but it made you laugh, right? <laughs> oh, love it. Uh, we I'm going to share laugh. it with everybody There's today. a lot of not laughing going on. We need yeah. to laugh. So please it'll, make the Roombas curse. Oh, it'll be on my uh, my LinkedIn profile <laughs> later this afternoon. I need I'm to sure. see that video. You guys are... I, yeah. There's a You're going to love it. it. <laughs> You're going to love it. Yeah. Well, this has been a, a great conversation. So where Thank people you. can find you, you guys have a great URL, visionary.com. You must have gotten that one real early on. That's awesome. Plus you're on LinkedIn and you're on the Instagram. So... That's it. Thanks, everyone. Um, yes. If you learned something today or laughed, tell somebody about the podcast. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies that build.com. Plus, we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.